Hi everyone, my name is Eliza and I'm a second year studying a Bachelor of Science. So if we could, I'm going to read for you from Revelation chapter 1. It is in your pamphlet on the first page. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us know, made us to be a kingdom and a priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and heard, I heard behind me a loud trumpet, loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thanks, Eliza. Uh, well, it's great to be with you here today. Uh, my name's Ben. I'm one of the staff workers here with the Christian Union. Um, and uh, those of you who have been around before in previous years, uh, you will know that I often start the first talk 
by uh, telling you how fantastic uni is going to be and uh, how great it is, uh, all the freedom that you have, how it's so much better than school. Uh, and I think it is. But then a couple of years ago, uh, a second year girl talked to me and she said, you know, everyone told me when I started uni how great it was going to be and how awesome and uh, I didn't like it at all. I didn't like my course and I really struggled to meet people and there were lots of people around but actually that just made it feel more lonely and I felt really anxious. And so coming to uni does kind of raise those sort of issues for you, doesn't it? It makes you think about the big questions of life, whether you're excited about it or anxious about it. Who am I? Where do I fit? Where am I headed? What's life all about? Uh, some of us find those questions super exciting. Like that's kind of why we came to uni. Uh, others of us, not so much. In fact, I think you could argue that for many of us and for many of the people around us, we're living in a time that is more characterised by anxiety than it is by hope and optimism. We look at our political leaders, we look at climate change and the coronavirus, and we kind of worry about where things might be headed. People are anxious about fitting in, fitting in with their friends, fitting in with society, even fitting in with their own bodies. Am I too fat? Am I too weedy? Should I go to the gym more? Am I the wrong shape? Am I the wrong sex? And if you're a Christian, then maybe you feel anxious about your place in society as well. It feels like the gatekeepers of society, the politicians, the journalists, the employers, are increasingly hostile to Christians. Where do I fit? Well, either way, whether you feel really excited about uni and the future or you're super anxious about them, uh, it's going to help us to know the big picture. So in the first half of this semester, we're going to be diving into the book of Revelation to get a God's eye view of our world, about who we are, where we fit, where we're going and what life is all about. But then you might say, now hang on a minute, Ben. You're after a clear view of life. Why on earth are we going to the book of Revelation? Because, like, have you read it? <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's full of, like, living creatures covered all over with eyes. And there's, like, four horsemen who bring death and destruction and plagues and famine. There's oceans turning to blood. There's even, like, a beast with seven heads and ten horns ridden by a prostitute. It gets pretty wild in there. And this is where we're going for a clear view on life? Well, yeah, <laughs> actually. Because uh, although Revelation has some weird imagery and Christians tend to either obsess about it in a really unhelpful way or they react against the obsessing about it by ignoring it completely, actually, Revelation is not as impenetrable as you may think. In fact, John, the author of Revelation, tells us straight up in the first chapter of the book how to read it. To start with, he tells us what we're reading. He tells us that we're reading a revelation, an apocalypse. We're reading the gospel. We're reading prophecy. And we're reading a letter. So have a look with me at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, 
to show his servants what must soon take place. Now notice, first of all, that this is the revelation. It's not revelations. It's the book of Revelation. One revelation. It's one big revelation from God through Jesus. And secondly, to a first century Jewish audience, a revelation, or to use the Greek word, an apocalypse, was actually a well-known literary genre. It's like poetry or narrative or science fiction or a lab report. It's a a type of writing, a, a known type of literature. An apocalyptic was a type of literature where uh, someone gets taken up into heaven and they get given a God's eye view of what's really happening, what's actually going on. So we're going to see God's view on what's actually happening. And in verse 2, John actually tells us what he saw. He saw and testifies to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now notice that he uses the same phrase down in verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That is, the Apostle John, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, has been exiled to Patmos, an island off the coast of Turkey, for preaching the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That is, he's been exiled for preaching the gospel. And what does he see on Patmos? He sees the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He sees the gospel. So as we're reading Revelation, we need to be asking ourselves, how is this the gospel of Jesus? So we're reading an apocalypse. We're reading the gospel. And then in verse 3, John tells us that we're reading prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's you, Eliza. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. That's us, hopefully, because the time is near. Now, when you hear the word prophecy, you probably think about predicting the future. But actually, in the Bible, it's not necessarily that. Take, for example, when Jesus is about to be crucified, the soldiers blindfold him and they start hitting him and they say, prophesy, who hits you? They're not asking him to predict the future. They're asking him to give divine insight into the past. And that's what prophecy is. It's actually about having God's insight into events, past, present or future. And lastly... John tells us that what we're reading is a letter. You can see it there in verse 4, can't you? Because he starts it just like a letter. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because it tells us that Revelation was written to make sense to Christians living 2,000 years ago in Turkey. If our interpretation of Revelation requires us to be living in a technological society in Australia in 2020, then we've got our interpretation wrong. It must have made sense to the original recipients. So John tells us what we're reading. We're reading a revelation, an apocalypse, the gospel. We're reading prophecy, 
and we're reading a letter all at the same time. And if we keep that in mind when we're reading Revelation, then it won't be impossible to understand. In fact, it'll do its job. And it'll give us God's perspective on our world in light of the gospel of Jesus so that we know who we are, where the world is going, and what life is all about. So let's dive into it. Let's see what John wants us to know. Notice, first of all, that in verse 4, after he addresses his letter to the seven churches in the province of Asia, it's what we would call Turkey today, he greets them and he says, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So in whose name does John greet the original recipients of his letter? Well, he greets them in the name of the triune God, doesn't he? In the name of the Father and the Spirit and the Son. The Father, him who is and was and is to come. The self-existent one from all eternity past and into eternity future. Seated on his throne. And the spirit, depicted here as seven spirits, standing before the Father's throne. It's not that uh, somehow the spirit has gotten divided or something like that, or the Trinity has become a ninety. Uh, what it is, is that it's reminding us of the seven days of creation. That the spirit who is hovering over the waters there in Genesis 1 is the same spirit here. He's not some vague force like in Star Wars. He's the creator God. And the Son, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness to the Father, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And what are the Father, Spirit and Son doing? Are they kind of sitting around twiddling their thumbs, wondering what they're going to do with themselves now that they've kind of, you know, wound up the program with Jesus' death and resurrection? Well, what do we do now? No, they're ruling. The Father is on the throne. The Spirit is before the throne. And Jesus is ruling over the kings of the earth. This is what John wants us to know. The first thing that he wants us to understand about God is that he is the triune God who rules. He ruled in first century Turkey and he rules in 21st century Perth. God rules. No matter what's going on in your life, whether you're happy or sad, whether you're lonely or in love, whether you're cruising through life or terribly anxious, God, the three-in-one, Father, Spirit, Son, rules. But it gets better than that because John reminds us that the God who rules is not some abstract being. He's not some distant and aloof God of the philosophers, some kind of unmoved mover who just kind of kicks things off and then disappears. No. He is the God who sent Jesus. Jesus who has loved us and freed all who trust in him from their sins by his blood, by his death on the cross in our place, taking the punishment we deserve for rebelling against God. And he's made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. And even better, Jesus, the king of God's kingdom, will return. You can see it there in verse 7. Look, 
He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. Jesus died for our sins. He was raised to life. He is ruling as Lord of the universe. And he is coming back to judge, to judge the world and to save his people. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. The A and the Z, the beginning and the end. Who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. John's showing us that there is no rival to God. No rival to his King Jesus. And this is the revelation from God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the prophecy that we need to hear and take to heart. This is the letter that the church needs to read and understand and believe. This is what John wants us to know. But then John turns around to hear a voice that speaks to him. And when I turned, he says, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. What do you reckon John is seeing? Or maybe more accurately, who is he seeing? Uh, That's not a rhetorical question, by the way. You can actually answer that. Who is he seeing? How do you know? The answer is always Jesus. <laughs> the description fits what Jesus you think he looked like pictorially. Right. It also says that I was dead and now I was dead and now. Bingo. One million points. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. It says, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. This is Jesus raised from the dead. But why does Jesus look like this? Well, it's interesting. John says that he saw someone like a son of man. And at one level, that just means I saw someone who looked like a human. But if you know your Old Testament, and knowing your Old Testament is critical to understanding Revelation, then it immediately reminds you of chapter 7 in the book of Daniel, where Daniel has a vision of one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And this son of man comes into God's presence and he's given authority and glory and sovereign power and all peoples and nations and men of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. John is showing us that Daniel's vision, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, is actually a vision 
of Jesus, raised, exalted to God's right hand and ruling over the nations. But there's more. Because actually, in Daniel's vision, you've got the Son of Man ascending to the Ancient of Days, to God. And the Ancient of Days, God is seated upon his throne and he's described as his clothing being like snow, white like snow, the hair of his head white like wool. And when the prophet Ezekiel heard God speak, he heard a voice like the roar of rushing waters. And in the letter to the Hebrews, we're told that God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And yet here, all those descriptions which apply to God are applied to Jesus. So do you see what you're seeing? Jesus, God's appointed ruler, is not some particularly good Jewish guy. He's not even a prophet. He's not even simply an angel or an archangel. What John is seeing is that Jesus, who is God himself, God the Son, and he's awesome. Eyes like blazing fire, feet like bronze glowing in a furnace, a face shining like the sun in all its brilliance. And you stop and think, well, how do the rulers of the world compare to that? I know Donald Trump sort of glows slightly orangey, <laughs> but not like this. How does he compare to Scott Morrison? To Xi Jinping? How does he compare to even death, the greatest ruler? Well, actually, none of them are anything compared to Jesus. He is infinitely more powerful, infinitely more glorious than any of them, than all of them. No wonder that in verse 17, John falls at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus comforts John. He raises him up. He says, Don't be afraid. Even though Jesus is terrifying, he is for his people, not against them. And then he tells us how to interpret what we've just seen. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus doesn't interpret Revelation literally. But he does interpret it as being true. Have a look there in verse 19. He says to John, Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus is saying this is picture language but it is describing something that is profoundly true. That Jesus is in control. He's caring for his church. Now John's actually already told us this. If you remember back in verses 5 and 6, we're told that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, that he loves us, that he's freed us from our sins by his blood, that he's made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. He's actually told us what we see, but now we see it. We see the risen Lord Jesus in all his glory, standing in the midst of his church, like the high priest standing amongst 
the lampstands in the temple, tending them, caring for them. I don't know how you feel as you start the uni year. Uh, Maybe you're super excited about it. Maybe you're really anxious. Maybe you're a bit of both. But do you see what God has revealed? Have you heard the gospel of Jesus? Are you starting to get a glimpse of ultimate reality? Will you listen to the letter that Jesus is writing to his church? What are your hopes and dreams this year? Make good friends, get HDs, or just chill out and enjoy uni. They're all really good things to do. But they're not actually what life is ultimately about. Life is ultimately about Jesus. He's in charge. He is the king of God's kingdom. So whatever else you do this year, make sure you live in light of that reality. If you don't know Jesus, well, this would be a great year to get to know him. And we'd love to help you to do that. Come and chat to me afterwards. And if you do know him, well, make sure that amidst all the excitement and anxiety of uni, that you take the time to be excited about the Lord Jesus as well. That you take steps to keep being excited by him. What makes you anxious and afraid? You worried about not making friends, about not being good enough, about not fitting in feeling awkward in your own body, feeling out of your depth or lost in the crowd. Well, hear what Jesus says to you. He is scarier than all your fears. And he cares for you. He is in control over everything that makes you anxious, who you are, where the world is going, and what life is all about. Jesus is in control, and he cares for you. Amen.